join me again as we pray together? God, we come to you and we thank you for all that you have blessed us with. More than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever know. You've provided so much for us materially, roofs over our heads, food on our tables, money in our bank accounts. We thank you for these blessings, but God, we ask that you would help us to give sacrificially, to bless others with what you have blessed us with, reminding us that all we have is not ultimately ours, but it is from you. You have given us relationships, family, and friends, and for that we thank you. But help us to love and serve our families and our friends well. God, you have given us the church, this church, brothers and sisters, that we have the privilege of committing to and being committed to. And for that, we thank you. Help us to love, encourage, equip, cherish, nurture, and bear with one another. You have given us life, and for that we thank you. We pray that we would use what health and ability we have to serve you with vigor. And God, we ask, too, that you would give us boldness to speak out against the injustices all around us surrounding issues of life for those who have no voice to speak for themselves. Keep in our mind, Lord, the almost 300 babies per day in Canada who never get the chance at life outside the womb. You don't turn a blind eye to this evil. Help us, too, to speak and act against this evil. And help us, too, to support and love those who are suffering from the effects of abortion fathers and mothers and doctors and nurses. Help us to pray and to be there. And would the light of the gospel shine even brighter in these dark places. Father, help us to go to these dark places and proclaim the hope that we have in you. God, we thank you for the members of HGC who serve faithfully week in and week out. We pray for our elders. Would you help us to lead well, being devoted to your word and prayer? We pray for our deacons. Would you help them to lead, serve, and facilitate well? We pray for our members. Would you help them to serve faithfully and with a joyful heart? We thank you for this body of believers. God, this morning we also pray for Liberty Grace Church in Toronto. We pray for Pastor Daryl and the whole team there. God, we thank you for your provision of giving them a space to meet right where they wanted to be in Liberty Village. Lord, provide for them the finances to continue to meet. We pray that you would sustain them in this hard place to plant a church. So transient and so liberal, God, it is hard ground, but we pray that they would rely completely on you. And God, we also pray for our country, the nation of Canada today. God, our country seems to be slipping further and further from your truth. We ask that you would work in the hearts of our leaders to lead faithfully and not out of step with you. God, more than anything, we pray for their salvation. We pray also for 
Bill C-4 that has been moved forward in the House of Commons. We pray that the issues presented in this bill would be clarified and that we wouldn't have laws preventing or outlawing important conversations that the Bible says about gender and sexuality. And for us this morning, would you help us as we approach your word and we bump into things that we may find challenging. Help us to remember you in your infinite wisdom and to trust in your good design. Would our lives, our relationships, and our marriages bring glory to you. Amen. Let's hear God's word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a test if you were reading your bulletin. Let's say thanks be to God. God's word is good, but it is challenging at times. So we're talking this morning about marriage. I've been married for almost 10 years, and so I am far from an expert. And so I turned to Google. I Googled, what is a healthy marriage? What is the secret? To a healthy marriage. Well, Google told me it gave me 196 million results in 0.66 seconds. And so I knew there's going to be something gold in here. The first article I got to was called A Recipe for a Healthy Marriage, Seven Scientific Secrets. It's good alliteration at the end. But I hoped it had more than just alliteration. So I read on. And the first scientific secret it said is that the key, the secret to a happy marriage is to celebrate good news. Seemed okay, celebrating good news, that's a good thing. The second scientific secret is that that good news needed to be a five to one ratio of good news to bad news. That was the se- that's the secret. If you wanted to know, that's the secret to a happy marriage, that uh, you have to have a five to one ratio. What, they didn't give any option for, if you don't have a five to one ratio, what that looks like, but that's just the scientific secret. Now, I realized pretty quickly I was struggling because I searched what is the secret to a healthy marriage, and all I could find was what the secret was to a happy marriage. Now, a healthy marriage should be a happy marriage, but I could find nothing about marriage health. It was all about marriage happiness. And so I refined my search to uh, the secret to a successful marriage. Obviously, that's dependent on what you determine success is, but I thought maybe that would 
uh, zoom in my search a little bit. So I said, what is the secret to a successful marriage? Then, boom, I got to marriage.com, who at least wins with having the clearest domain name. They've got some level of credibility. Marriage.com said the key secret to a a successful marriage was to be independent. Which, I mean, we need to have a little bit of independence in our marriages, right? We, if we were, you know, attached to the hip, that would cause us some problem. So a little bit of independence is good. But it seemed counter to the picture I see in Scripture of the two becoming one flesh. That we should love our wives like we love ourselves. That, that independence felt like a disconnect. But I read on, next point, uh, on marriage.com said, the second key ingredient to a successful marriage is acceptance. And I thought, hey, here we go, acceptance. I've heard this. We need to accept that, you know, we're sinners. We need to accept that our spouses are sinners. No. The acceptance was uh, accept that he can't be changed. That was the acceptance point. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit facetious, but these were real results. The first few hits, you can try it yourself. Well, don't, <coughs> don't try it this afternoon. But you'll see that this is what uh, Google tells us, not what Scripture tells us. But this is an important question. What does it mean to have a healthy, a happy, a successful, a biblical, a God-glorifying marriage? Maybe you ask this question, and you are with me. You say, Aaron, I'm with you. When I Google marriage advice or I read it in magazines or books, I get it's a little bit fluffy. And I get that it might get me through the honeymoon or the first big storm, whichever comes first. But on the flip side, you might feel stuck because you're stuck between this vanilla, overly optimistic marriage advice and domineering patriarchy. Is that where you feel stuck? The Bible is very clear. It gives us the secret to a healthy marriage. Tim Keller writes a lot about marriage, and he talked about the secret to a healthy marriage is to love the unlovable. So when our spouse is most unlovable, if we love them, that is the secret to a healthy marriage. Now, he doesn't stop there, because that is good advice, but we realize that that's a lot harder than it sounds. That's good advice until it's not. And so he talks about there being a secret to the secret. And so that's what we're going to be spending our time this morning talking about. Now, it's not a big cliffhanger. You see in the title of the sermon that it's a gospel-shaped marriage. And so our big idea this morning is God has designed marriage... To reflect the gospel. God has designed marriage to reflect the gospel. Sounds simple, but it's not easy. And so let's dig into it. Now our points will blend together. We'll spend time looking at the secret to a healthy marriage or the secrets to a healthy marriage. And then we'll dig into the secret to the secret. A lot of secrets going on this morning. So bear with me. Again, it's not a cliffhanger. You'll find from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, we learn a lot about marriage, but we learn a lot more about Christ and his love for the church. And so our first point, the secret to a healthy marriage. If you want an oversimplification, I think it could be summarized in two words, submission and love. Again, I told you it was going to be an oversimplification, submission and love. So let's get into it. But first, we need to look at the context. Where have we been coming through this book of Ephesians before we get to this point about wives and husbands? Well, let's even just look at the immediate context, what came immediately before. Two weeks ago, if you remember how we finished out our time through the first half of Ephesians chapter 5, we concluded with what the spirit-filled life looks like. 
the spirit-filled life. A lot of times when we read or we hear about the passage about wives and husbands in Ephesians, we jump right to it, but we forget what came immediately before. And so to refresh our memory, what is the spirit-filled life? Paul writes, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the spirit-filled life is a life of singing and praise, a life of thanksgiving always and in everything, and a life of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the context. Uh, That sets the stage, especially verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, for where we're going to go through a good chunk of the rest of Ephesians. This section on wives and husbands, the next section on children and parents, and the next section on bondservants and masters. All of these are examples of what we see in chapter 5, verses 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We even see this very clearly in this section on wives and husbands, as what we see in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That word submit in verse 22 isn't even there. It picks up in the Greek, it picks up the verb from verse 21. So literally it would read, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now that's a little bit clunky in English, so the verb has been carried over. Uh, The meaning is clear. But it helps us to, to realize that this isn't a cold start in verse 22. That as we consider what it means to have a gospel-shaped marriage, it is to think about having a spirit-filled life. That's an important note. This matters. It shows how we live a spirit-filled life. And so it links us to what we are called to as Christians. The beginning of this whole practical section was at the beginning of chapter 4, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And now it just keeps getting zoomed in and out and expanded and, and brought in. And this is just another example of that, how we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, a few disclaimers or things to talk about quickly before we really get into the meat and potatoes. Three things. This sermon is not everything the Bible says about gender. We're going to learn about gender through this passage, but it's not everything the Bible says about gender. Uh, for example, it doesn't talk in Ephesians 5 about gender roles within the church or uh, anything beyond gender in the context of a marriage. And so this is not everything the Bible has to say about gender. If you want to talk about that, come find me after. I would love to talk to you about it, and we will cross those bridges as we get to the passages of Scripture that do speak to gender. The Bible is abundantly clear on this topic, but we are in Ephesians 5 this morning. Ephesians 5 is also not a passage about divorce, and so this is not a sermon about divorce. The Bible, again, speaks to divorce. It talks about biblical and unbiblical reasons for divorce, but Ephesians 5 does not, and so this is not in itself a sermon about divorce. And our third warning or disclaimer is this is not just a sermon for married people. Maybe you've checked out already if if you're not married. This is not just a sermon for married people. Kids, this is a sermon for you. This is good to think about. Kids, you need to think about your parents and their experience. It'll help you understand their experience and help you pray for your parents. That's a good thing to do. Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents' marriages. So this matters, kids, for you to listen to. And this is going to freak you out, but you might get married someday. And so this is good to think about. This is also a sermon for singles. 
This will help you understand what those around you are called to in marriage. And it will allow you to help them, to pray for them, and to support them. And you too, if you get married, this will show you the kind of spouse that you can aspire to be. It will show you the kind of spouse that you can look for. If you're divorced, this passage is also for you. This can help you reestablish a clearer picture of God's design for marriage after the pain and confusion that you have experienced so tangibly. If you're widowed, this can help you remember the sweetness of what God in his kindness called you to for a season and to trust him to wait on him in a different way. And so this is a, a passage for all people. This is an important topic for all of us this morning. And so first, even before we talk specifically about husbands and wives, let's first consider this idea introduced to us in verse 21, which is mutual submission. This is something for all Christians, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how we live the spirit-filled life. But what it's not is all Christians submitting to all Christians. That's not the picture we see in the Bible. But it is all Christians being willing to submit. To be a disciple is to submit. We see different examples in Scripture. We submit to the authority of Scripture on all matters of life and doctrine. If you're a member here, you've covenanted that with this church, that we will submit to the authority of Scripture on all matters of life and doctrine. We also submit to pastors and elders who will give an account for our souls that they're watching over. We see that clearly in Hebrews 13. We submit to the governing authorities that God has placed over us so long as they don't forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. We see this clearly in passages like Romans 13. But the key link between all this biblical submission, what is this? It's voluntary. Any less than voluntary submission is not out of reverence for Christ. Any less is not out of reverence for Christ. I love stories of voluntary submission. I think the best stories of voluntary submission are the ones that are most surprising. And I heard this story. I thought I'd share it with you. A friend of mine, we prayed for him earlier, pastor in Toronto, Daryl Dash. He's got, I've said this before. He's got the coolest name. Sounds like a superhero, Daryl Dash. Uh, but Daryl Dash, he's got a good friend who was visiting. Uh, he was in the UK for a business trip. And so he was there and he was visiting a church that was close to his hotel. So he just found a church that looked like they preached the gospel he went in and he wanted to go to this church and an older gentleman met him at the door and was handing out bulletins and he specifically noted wow this man is very kind but uh this man was handing out bulletins and it wasn't till after uh, this isn't a connection between our new bulletins or anything <laughs> this story but he was handing out bulletins and afterwards this man came to discover that the man who was handing out bulletins was a man named ff F. bruce now that man's name may mean nothing to you but F.F. F. Bruce, uh, over the last century, is one of the foremost New Testament scholars, one of the greatest minds in the evangelical world in writing commentaries and helping people understand the Bible. And so this man, F.F. F. Bruce, likely the smartest man in the room, was not preaching. He was not sitting there being critical of the preaching. He was humbly serving and doing a thankless job, really. He was handing out the bulletins. I think that's a picture for us of what voluntary submission looks like. And it's especially beautiful because it's the least expected. How about another way, more tangible for us? What does that look like? Well, maybe the songs we sing. 
Maybe you're a person that loves modern worship music. Maybe you're a person that loves old hymns. And maybe when we get to the one that you don't like as much, you, ugh, you grumble. Well, the way that we can voluntarily submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is appreciate the fact that there's probably someone in the room who loves that song. Who that song has had a major impact on their life and the truths in it are a joy to them. We can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ intentionally, not not only not grumbling, not only just saying, okay, I'll deal with it, but saying, I'm going to choose to submit to someone else's preferences. That's how we do it. We do it for the sake of another. And we can think of dozens of examples over this last year and a half through this COVID era of how we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Something may not be our preferences, something may not be uh, our uh, personal feelings on things, but we can and should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this isn't new as we look through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He has talked time and time again about how the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down between people, between the Jews and the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And that's a far bigger divide than a lot of the things we divide over today. But these walls have been broken down, and then he commands them to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is crazy the more and more we think about it. We need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we see walls broken down because of the gospel between people, broken, sinful people. But these walls are broken down because of the gospel, and then voluntary submission is the outflow. The opposite of that is to grumble and complain. And so purge that from yourself. Pray for God's help. Get rid of the grumbling. Get rid of the complaining. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a picture of how the gospel becomes very clear in our lives. And that's the stage that is set as we go into a passage about wives and husbands, about marriages. That the gospel should change the way we look at our lives. That our lives as Christians, as disciples of Christ, should be filled with voluntary submission. And so this is what the, the stage that's set before Paul dives into marriage. And so our first point as we consider the secret to a healthy marriage is submission. Read with me verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, if you are anything like me, you hear these words and you see these instructions and you understand that these instructions are clear, but they are challenging. And to stop you from thinking that maybe these words weren't as challenging for those in the first century, we need to remember that these were massively challenging words for the first century, but for very different reasons than they are for us today. In the first century, women had no status, no standing. No rights, no testimony in court. They were under the thumb of their fathers and then their husbands. This was the world. And it wasn't just one group or culture. This was true for the Jews. This was true for the Greeks. This was true for the Romans. And the more and more I read and learn about how women were treated in the first century, the more and more it blows my mind the picture we see in the Bible about how women were treated. Think of Jesus' example. Who, who were the first people he chose to reveal himself to after his resurrection? Women. Remember, their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. 
So that's a bold move, right? Why would he do that? Well, women were the ones who didn't abandon him at his death. That means something. But there's example after example of how it's very countercultural. And so Paul here is exhorting women to something that is countercultural in the to certainly today, but also in a very different way in the first century. He's exhorting them to voluntary submission. He's not saying submit or else. He's exhorting them to voluntary submission. And so this is radical as we read these words. Not because she wouldn't want to submit, but because she wouldn't have ever had the option to. And so today, submission is countercultural for very different reasons. But let's collectively be careful not to read a caricature of submission into our passage. You know how you can uh, work on your, I don't know why I'm, I feel like an old man. You know when you work on your computer, uh, you know when you're on your computer and you can put in autocorrect and you can, you know, you mess up a word and it autocorrects. I think a lot of us, when we hear the word submit or submission, our brains autocorrect to something very different. We think of control. We think of you know, dare I say slavery, we think of having no rights, no say, obey at all costs. That's what our brains autocorrect to do. And so let's collect, collectively resist that impulse to autocorrect God's word. This is not the picture that the Bible paints. And so let's spend a minute here talking about what is submission not? What is submission not? Submission is not, and I want to be clear, not all women submitting to all men. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this is not all women submitting to all men. This is also not in the confines of marriage that somehow women are inferior to men. That is not the picture that we see in the Bible. The Bible is abundantly clear from cover to cover, from very beginning of creation, that men and women are equal and created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. This is contested in our culture too, but it's clear in scripture. God created two genders, equal but distinct. God created two genders, equal but distinct, and it was good. Equal, but having differing and complementary roles. It's like a slow dance. One leads, the other follows. One initiates, the other responds. Both are necessary for the dance to look anything like a dance. You can imagine two people trying to lead. There'd be arms sticking out on both sides, and it wouldn't look anything like a dance. And so we, the picture we see of, of complementary, equal but distinct relationships within marriage is not two people dragging two people around or certainly not one person dragging the other around when done right it is beautiful and so a complementary or complementarian view of marriage is that wives and husbands are equal yet distinct they complement one another in the dance of marriage and so we can't slip into making this a conversation about importance it is not a question of importance. It's a question of order. But we can get this wrong. Even when we have our right head on this, we can get this terribly wrong. And we see that all the way from the first marriage. We see Eve usurp her husband's authority, and Adam fails to lead abysmally. 
He stands by, he partakes, he doesn't shepherd his wife, and then when God confronts them in their sin, he says, oh, she made me do it. He fails to lead. And so just because sin has tainted these truths does not make them bad. This order is not a consequence of sin. This isn't instituted after the fall. This order is part of God's design. And so I like how John Stott says it. He says, this is not chauvinism, this is creationism. And it's a good thing. And so we've considered what this submission is not, but what is it? Well, it's voluntary. It's free. And it says it's in everything. Now we need to be careful with this too. Like other biblical examples of submission, in everything does not always mean in everything and that it is not in sin. Just as we are to not follow our governing authorities if they are to command what God forbids or forbid what God commands, wives are not to submit to their husbands if their husbands are asking them to sin. So it's voluntary, it's in everything that is honoring to the Lord, and it is spirit-filled submission. Again, it's easy already to forget where we came from. Spirit-filled life. That is the why of this passage. And so wives, you can only do this by God's help. Thankfully, God gives us his spirit to help us live the spirit-filled life. That's not up to us on our own volition. But you can only do this by God's help. And even if we bump into things in God's word that cause us to pause or to wrestle, we need to remember that God is infinitely wise and good. So we've considered the word submission. Let's consider the word love, another secret to a healthy marriage. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What Paul is talking about here is love. Love. Maybe a million songs are popping into your head when you think about love. I don't know, in my head right now, I'm thinking of a, an acronym song. L is for the way you look at me. Anyway, love. What Paul's talking about is love. He's not talking about being in love. He's not talking about liking someone. He's talking about loving someone. We have distorted pictures of what love is. Our simple hearts twist this idea of love, but he is talking about love. Every time he talks about love in this passage, he is talking about self-sacrificial love. And this is really getting into the secret to the secret. Okay, we're getting there. The secret to the secret of a healthy marriage. But first, I want to consider why the distinction. Why husbands love and why wives submit. Why is there a distinction at all? Well, I think we can be helped to look at a specific application of the same principle based on our roles. Stott again says this. The wife's submission is but another aspect of love. What does it mean to submit? It is to give oneself up for somebody. 
What does it mean to love? It is to give oneself up for somebody. And so what is the secret to a healthy marriage? It is equal yet distinct love and submission to one another. It is equal yet distinct love and submission to one another. What we do not find in Ephesians 5, hear this, what we do not find is dominance or force. We find spirit-filled Christians who love, submit, and respect by God's help. And this is good news. But too often, we stop here. Too often when we're studying passages like this or we hear sermons about this, we stop here. We say, okay, I get the secret. Love and submission, sure. I'm not quite grasping it, but I, I'm, I'm in on it. I'm, I want to follow God's word, but we stop here. But we realize that there's a big something missing. Because what happens when we fail to love and submit? What happens when we fail to respect one another? What happens when our marriages more resemble the fall in Genesis chapter 3 more than this picture of what God designed? Well, God in his infinite wisdom gives us the secret to the secret. The secret to the secret of a healthy marriage. It is in the secret to the secret that we learn the how and the why of marriage and not just the what of marriage. Again, Tim Keller talks about the secret to a healthy marriage is what? Loving the other person when they are unlovable, when they are least lovable. If we love them, that's a good thing. Because what happens? What's more like our nature? You know, so you, your spouse comes home and they leave their shoes out and you try to open up the door, and the door's jammed. You can't even fit through the door, and then you're, ah, uh, you're resenting your spouse because of something so petty, but it drives you crazy. So then what do you do? Well, maybe the next time you say, they're not getting it, how hard it is. I'm going to leave my shoes in front of the door, right? And again, we're still in kind of petty land, but all of a sudden, things start to get twisted because then now the spouse says, why would they do that? They, they did that just to be spiteful. So then the cynicism starts to brew and grow. Is this sounding familiar, right? And it, it's, a, it's a really bad spiral. And it's funny for a little bit, but it gets really unfunny really quick. This is the spiral of an unhealthy marriage. This is the spiral of sinners being married to each other. But what Tim Keller says is when you love the unlovable, when you love somebody when they're least lovable, when you're jamming at your door against those shoes, I don't know why I'm using this example. It doesn't really happen in our house. But uh, if it is, it's my shoes. <laughs> but, you know, you're jamming your door and you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the cycle. I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to choose to love my wife. I'm going to choose to submit to my husband. I'm going to love in a way that is self-giving, giving of myself, and that will break the cycle. That's the secret to a healthy marriage. And you'll see it. That, that's, good, that's good advice, right? That would even make it on marriage.com, I think. But we realize pretty quick that that's not possible on our own. Maybe once or twice when you're feeling really good. You got a good sleep the night before. You know, you had a good day at work. You're ready to love the unlovable. But most of the time, you know it's not like that. Ray Ortland says it very poignantly, I think. He says... Here, then, is the ultimate reason for our broken promises, our shouting matches, our resentments, our abuses, our separations, our divorces, and all marital tragedies. God gave us up to the powers of our own sinful confusion. 
Whenever a wife steps in to fill the void created by her husband's failure to care and provide, with the husband resenting his wife for the implied criticism of his own passivity and silently or aggressively punishing her for it, each one aggravates the weaknesses of the other as they spiral down into mutual incomprehension, bitterness, and alienation. Both defiant feminism and arrogant patriarchy fall short of the glory of Eden. And we husbands and wives will never get ourselves back to the garden by pointing the accusing finger at the other. We husbands and wives will never get ourselves back to the garden by pointing an accusing finger at the other. End quote. And so this is why we need a secret to the secret. The secret to a healthy marriage, to love somebody when they're least lovable, is not good enough. We need a source. We need an example of perfect love and submission that makes this cycle-breaking possible. And we've let the cat out of the bag multiple times at this point already. But what is the secret to the secret? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Each part of our passage is rooted in these truths. To not read Jesus in this passage is to not read this passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This submission is out of reverence for Christ, like we considered in verse 21. It is an act of worship, not worship of a husband, certainly, but worship of God. The motivation for this submission, the motivation for this love, this motivation for giving of oneself is not legalism. It's God-glorifying voluntary submission. And we need to stop ourselves, too, from the autocorrect that goes into our mind that thinking submission is giving up or it's weak. What is the most perfect example of submission? Christ. Just like in our call to worship, if you turn your Bibles one page or maybe two, you get to the beginning of Philippians. And we see that he did not count equality with God a thing that we grasp, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the perfect example of humble, voluntary submission. And Jesus is not weak. He took on flesh to ransom us. God knew that we were broken sinners, that we needed to be saved, and we couldn't save ourselves by our best righteousness, by our own sacrifices, by anything we could do. And so he sent his son in this perfect act of submission to submit himself to human form, to being fully God yet fully man, to live a perfect, sinless life, yet submit himself to the penalty of sin, the sin that you and I deserve. And in that submission, he bore the weight of our sin in full. And he defeated death. He rose from the dead on the third day. He demonstrated that God's wrath had been satisfied. He had submitted himself to our penalty and our punishment so that we could be seen as righteous in God's eyes if we would but turn from our sin and trust in Christ for salvation. That is the perfect example of submission. That is the perfect example of love. If you have never responded to the good news of the gospel, this is for you today. 
Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. This could be the day of salvation for you. To know that God loved you enough to send his son to die for you. That's good news. If you want to talk about that, we would love to talk to you more about that further. But that is a perfect example of Jesus who, as we often sing here, is strong and kind. Who, when we needed him most, he came to us. And husbands, it is the same gospel lens that we need to look through as we consider our role. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless and without blemish. To love in this way, to love in a way that we see in Ephesians chapter 5 is to give everything of yourself for your wife. Spend and be spent for her. Why? So that you can point her to Christ. So that you can present her mature in Christ. Husbands, you do not sanctify your wives, but your love must point her to the one who does. Husbands, you don't cleanse your wives by the washing of water, but you love your wives and you must point her to the word who does. We don't present her to ourselves. We don't bring her holy and blameless to ourselves, but our love must point her to the one who she will stand before one day, where because of his love and his righteousness, he can say to her, well done, good and faithful servant. Our love for our wives as our own bodies. Don't, let, don't hear that and again autocorrect to think that that's selfishness. That's selflessness. God has joined you as one. And so as one, you are to love her like you would love yourself. You are to give everything for her. For all of us, when we think about the idol of self, how much of our day is revolving around us, what I must do, what I must accomplish, how I must make myself feel good, look good, whatever it is. Our instinct as husbands, by God's help, should be the same as our instinct to eat when we're hungry. We should love our wives as our own bodies. Because God has joined us as one. We need to cherish our wives, nurture our wives, just as Christ does the church. And so as we look at marriage through the lens of the gospel, we see that God's plan for marriage is so much bigger than we could have ever imagined. Paul says that this is a mystery. When he talks about a mystery, I know we're talking a lot about secrets. He's not talking about something that's unknowable or uh, mysterious in a way. When he talks about a mystery, he's talking about something that was hidden and is now revealed. The glory of God's creation in marriage, pre-fall, pre-sin, we only really see full orb in the gift of Jesus for his people. That is the mystery of the gospel, and that is the mystery of marriage. This was something that was hidden until now, but now our marriages are to reflect the gospel, as our big idea says. God instituted marriage before the fall. He already knew the rest of the story. He knew that we would blow it, that we would be selfish, that we would fail to love, fail to lead, and yet he paints a better picture. He tells a better story. He designed marriage to reflect his love for us. 
And so we may cringe at the idea of self-giving or submissive love. But the problem is not with the model. The problem is with our hearts. Christ's submission does not proclaim inferiority or weakness. It proclaims his love. The authority that Christ has is not authoritarianism. It's this authority that he used to love his bride enough that it drove him to die for her. The metaphor of the gospel and marriage, it works both ways. But for too long, if you're anything like me, we've only thought of it one way. That we think the gospel helps us to understand marriage. And that is true. But it doesn't only work that way. We diminish the gospel to think of it only as a metaphor for our marriage. Our marriages are to be a metaphor for the gospel. When Paul writes in verse 32, this mystery is profound that I'm saying that it Christ and the church. He shows the direction that this metaphor can and should work. Our marriages should proclaim the gospel. Husbands, your sacrificial love should point your wives straight to Christ. Wives, your voluntary submission and love should point your husband straight to Christ. Our marriages should point the watching world to perfect submission and perfect love, and only a shadow of that being seen in even the best marriage, but being seen in all of its fullness as we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why the gospel is the secret to a healthy, happy, successful, God-glorifying marriage. And this is why whether you're single or you're married, you're an adult or you're a child, you need to be praying for marriages here at Heritage Grace Church. We need to pray that our marriages would reflect the gospel. It is a profound mystery that it refers to Christ and the church, but it is a beautiful and God-glorifying mystery. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for more than anything, the gift of your son. God, if there is anyone here who needs to consider this good news in a new way or a fresh way or in the first way, God, would you open our hearts to know this truth? And God, we thank you for the gift of marriage and the mystery that it is that it refers to Christ and the church. We thank you for that perfect picture of submission and love. And we pray that our marriages would reflect that. But God, as we see in your word, we can only do that by your help. Would you fill us with your spirit that we would honor you, glorify you with our lives, with our worship, and with our love. Would our marriages proclaim the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.